now, boys and girls, it's time again. Again, again, again. This is the PowerShell Podcast. PowerShell Podcast. You girls and boys will have lots of fun. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. Power to the people. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey everybody, welcome to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm Jordan with the co-host Andrew Plaw, and today we have a special guest, Sean Wheeler. Uh, and you do documentation at Microsoft. Yeah, so I'm the lead uh, document writer for the PowerShell docs for the PowerShell product itself. All right, so that sounds like a whole whole lot of of, of writing that you can do there. <laughs> it's, uh, there's a fair amount. Now, I was lucky to inherit you know, a pretty complete dot set, but there's always new stuff coming. Um, there's things changing with each new release. And so keeping up on top of uh, what's coming down the pipe. And um, we've recently added some new documentation for modules that the PowerShell team uh, owns, but don't ship as part of PowerShell. So things like Crescendo and Secrets Management and uh, those things. So secrets recovered briefly. Crescendo they showcased today at the summit. Yeah, I'm not supposed to say today, but I did. Here we are. I'm going with it. Oh, but yes. uh, and that's the thing that helps you write functions. Like I'll turn your code into functions for you. Yeah. What easier. is Crescendo? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a framework for accelerating creation of commandlets um, for command line tools that don't work like PowerShell. So um, you have a lot of native tools built into the operating system, or you have um, things like Kubernetes and Docker or whatnot that have these command line tools, but they don't, they're not PowerShell tools. Right. They're not fit to fit into the PowerShell way of doing things. Right. Um, in, in the example, I think they turned off a firewall rule and then they use secrets within that. So that capture where it passed through credentials automatically. Right. Um, so it, it allows you to define, define the interface of the commandlets, the parameters and, and how you want it to work um, in a uh, JSON specification. And the only thing, part of the code that you need to write is the code that um, captures the output and turns it into objects. And then crescendo, turns that into a module that you can then distribute. Okay, so I guess if you were not to use Crescendo, you were you would have to wrap a tool and then write all the ways of handling parameters and taking the output and making it kind of work, and you're very limited right. to what you can write. Whereas with Crescendo, all you have to worry about is how to take the output that it gives you and kind of convert it kind of thing, like deal with that Yeah, it, it separates the, there's, there's all this overhead of creating a commandlet. You have to define the parameter sets and uh, what parameters you want and um, what that user, that's the user experience end of a commandlet. And then there's the internal logic of how do I get the information that I'm trying uh, to retrieve and how do I present that as an object. Um, so it separates, um, separates those into two separate things. Um, and it's a way, like internally, we have teams at Microsoft that are using it to prototype commandlets. So, for example, the WinGit team, WinGit's a command line tool. They want to have a PowerShell experience for it. They used Crescendo to prototype what their commandlets should work like. And now they're going back and writing a native PowerShell module for it. But first they figured out how they wanted their commandlets to work. And this... this 
made. That way they didn't have to invest in a whole bunch of development uh, until they had finalized what the experience should be. That, there's a couple of times where I really could use that. Like w Windows 11, where you have to test, you have to have a certain version of DirectX. Or, mm -hmm. And then for that... DXDiag. Yeah, DXDiag, which returns basically text, and then I had to go into a regex query to pull out the data that I wanted. Yeah. that Having just an object return instead would have been awesome. Uh, yeah. You still have to write that regex query to do that, but you you can quickly knock together uh, a, command, a PowerShell commandlet uh, with Crescendo. And, and then when you're sharing it with people, they right. can just import that module. And then in, instead of copy make sure the regex is right, it's just git dash directx version or however. Right. And then... Um, and so Crescendo um, requires PowerShell 7 uh, to run, but the module that it creates can be run on PowerShell 5.1 and above, depending on how you code it. So as long as you don't... Uh, use PowerShell 7 specific uh, constructs in it, then it'll run down level. Very cool. And is there a dependency on these projects that are, like the modules that are created with Crescendo? Is there a dependency for Crescendo? No. You, it ships totally separate. Cool. Yeah, it was it was a it was a pretty cool demo to watch. Yeah, it definitely was. They they made some theatrics out of it. <laughs> yeah. which, which was uh, it was like as I was watching a Capellan story and learning. <laughs> One thing that's a common theme when we have guests is documentation is critical, but nobody wants to do it. So you are an absolute hero. <laughs> well, is that changing? I don't know. Does nobody want to do it? I I think that there's more and more people seeing the value in it and appreciating it. And I think there's more and more people appreciating it. Um, and uh, partly because I'm in this end of the business, but there's um, technical writing as a profession is becoming more popular, especially in the, what they call the API docs um, uh, segment of technical writing. It's a huge growth area. So there's more and more people getting into it. Um, and it's a big, important part of the whole experience if you don't have the documentation to support your your apis then nobody uses them and it's all about onboarding them into your whole product experience your your services um so it's it's very important and um we've also seen a big trend in the industry of documentation going open source for a lot of the big companies um like we have. And it's been, I think, the game changer from the old days of TechNet and MSDN, where that documentation lived for years and barely got updated. Um, and now, you know, you can file an issue and we'll fix it the same day and you'll see it <laughs> at 3 p.m. Pacific time, uh, the update. So um, it's, it's made the speed of documentation changes that much faster. Well, it kind of ties into uh, soft skills. Uh, I just attended a session, and it was uh, good code that no one adopts is less valuable than bad code that people use. Right. And if you have documentation, so I mean, good code with good documentation is ideal, but documentation is going to get your code adopted, which makes it more valuable than anything. Yeah. 
Um, so for those people at home who are maybe writing modules, is there any kind of like, what would you say is a, a bare set of what you should shoot for if you're a person creating a project and looking to share it? Like what, what would be a decent bottom threshold? Well, when you're, when you're creating a script-based module, of course, you always have the option of uh, comment-based help. Uh, and at a minimum, you should be doing that. But one thing to think about is um, publishing the MAML-based help, which is the other format that the PowerShell supports. Um, and we have tools. We have a tool called PlatyPS uh, that's a module on the gallery that helps you create your documentation for your commandlets in Markdown and then convert that to the MAML format and you can ship that with your module. Um, but PowerShell also has the ability of, of doing updatable help. So you could publish this as updatable help. Uh, you just have to have a location to host um, those files. And that's what we do. Um, we use PlatyPS to so it's a multi-step process. You use PlatyPS to create the initial markdown files. And it has the information about your commandlets, the, the syntax diagrams, and a list of all the parameters, and some basic metadata about them. Then you go into the markdown and fill in the descriptive information and the examples. Um, and then there's commandlets in, in PlatyPS to convert that to that markdown to the MAML format and package it up into a zip file that then you can publish for updatable help. And we have a whole automation pipeline for that. So whenever we uh, check in a change or commit a change in GitHub to the documentation um, and it's published to our live branch, it rebuilds the help. So um, you, you can... Every day, you could run update help and get the latest, greatest help. Awesome. So, so the way to get uh, more adoption for document writing is to DevOps it and make it a lot of automation. So it, you still have to put in the work, but right. a lot of the, the repetitive stuff will get done for you now. Yeah. And it, it used to be, like, MAML is the only format available for your um, C-sharp compiled-based commandlets, Right. You don't have the comment-based help. Right. Um, so you still have to do that. And it used to be when uh, the help system first came to PowerShell, creating that MAML, MAML is uh, an XML file. Mm -hmm. And that had to be handcrafted. And it was a real pain. It, 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 nobody likes authoring an XML, right? Right, no. <laughs> uh, so that's what PlatyPS was all about. It was um, it, it allows you to author in Markdown, which is easy, and then convert that. Very cool. And uh, I think there's also a, a nice thing that I see with projects is they have the help in the commands, and it's available everywhere, but also online, so you can kind of browse through. And on the commands, they also make it so like you can use dash online, open up all the documentation, and click around, kind of have mm -hmm. a different way of discovering which I think that's made available like in the commands by the help URI. Yes. Um, yeah, there's a whole, I could go into the internals oh, of all okay, this okay. and maybe I'll do a session on it someday. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, you, you can, uh, the, there's a help URI in the commandlet and then there's the help info URI in the module for um, 
that tells the help system where to download the updates. Very cool. Wow. So one thing I like to tell people, and we kind of harp on a little bit, is then when you're trying to learn something, find the documentation and start there. Uh, it's very useful. It, some people like learning by discovering, and that's great. But if you find yourself running into issues and not getting right where you need to be, read the documentation. You'll have context. You'll understand what they've intended you to do. Because if they've done it right, maybe they've kind of mm-hmm. they've put some thought into how they deliver their product to you and how they show it to you. There's exactly you can speak to how much care and thought is put into that. So you should take advantage of that by reading them. Yeah, and that's certainly something we strive for. Um, you know, crafting the examples, trying to find those scenarios that are that people are going to run into uh, that do the best job of uh, explaining the features. Um, and uh, and it's not always easy. Um, and that's the beauty of open source is we can get the community to help us uh, with their ideas. Um, either by filing an issue, say, hey, I don't understand this. Can you provide an example? This is what I'm trying to do, whatever. Or uh, the community can even submit pull requests, make changes to the documentation. Right. I think um, if I'm remembering correctly, if you're looking at the PowerShell documentation, I think at the top there's like a button that says like suggest change or edit or something like that. There's there's a pencil icon and they've recently moved it around on the on the web page, but there's a pencil icon at the top of the article um, that you can click on that and it takes you directly to the source of that article in GitHub. And then you can submit a change uh, from there. Yeah, um, which is a great way. And it doesn't have to be a perfect change. If you can just say, hey, it looks like this is missing a particular parameter. If you don't have the full answer or haven't written docs, it's okay. You can get the ball rolling by just bringing things up that you see. That's that's useful. Yep. So just Absolutely. Like- with, with all PowerShell, we talk about just contribute what you can and people are going to appreciate it. Documentation yeah. is somewhere where even if you're new to PowerShell, you can contribute to documentation right away and the benefits are going to be far-reaching. Yeah, and I guess that's good for breaking up small issues. But what if people wanted to, they see something that maybe they wanted to add something to or they wanted to maybe do some writing, What would where would they go? So, um, so there's a difference. It, it depends on what they're trying to write. Uh, what in my documentation set, uh, the goal there is reference documentation. And um, that's a very different writing style than, say, a blog post or something like that. Right. Um, but we also have the PowerShell community blog. It's, it's uh, I'm sure folks that, have, folks that have been around PowerShell for a, a while remember the old Hey Scripting Guy blog. Yeah. And, after Ed Wilson retired, um, it's it kind of languished, and um, there we finally decided to pull the plug on it. The blog is still there; all that content's still there, mm-hmm. but we shut it down for contributions and comments. And we created this new blog, the the PowerShell Community blog, uh, and it's set up to where the community can actually write blog posts that get published to this. So, um, and, and it's GitHub based. So we have uh, a repository. It's, it's github.com slash PowerShell slash community dash blog. Uh, and there's a wiki page there with instructions on how to get started with contributions. Uh, but you can uh, propose a, a posting. Uh, we take issues. 
Um, and, and then you write it up and you could submit it as a PR. We can help you with the writing side of it. We'll do an editorial pass on what you do. And the style of that is going to be much more informal, more conversational, more story-driven than right. reference content would be. Right. So you're saying that there's the PowerShell community blog. So if people want to get started blogging, they can try if they have something yeah, done. Yeah, it's, it's a great... If you've ever... Th- considered starting your own blog, you know, getting one set up. I I did this a while, uh, several years ago on WordPress, but Mm -hmm. it was just getting over that hump of, I got to learn this new blogging platform and I have to have a place to host it. And how much is this going to cost me? Do I need a domain name? Right. All of those things. You don't have to worry about that. We take care of all that for you. You just submit your content and it's published under your name. Mm-hmm. Um, on on our blog, right beside the PowerShell team blog, right, and other people can use it. And I guess if if they have improvements, is that something they could suggest an issue? If there's like a, we take issues on that. Um, it's harder to do edits, um, right? But the, there's a process there, and we typically haven't had to do any of that. Um, right. But yes, it's it's certainly possible that the. The infrastructure is in place. It's a matter of pro- people in process. <laughs> right. But it sounds like it might not be that necessary because you're saying it goes through a pass. So it, people... it goes through an editorial pass. And and really, this is, this is your content. We're not trying to change it. And, um, right. you know, unless there's something really wrong about it, we're not going to touch it. Right. But it is useful, I think, for someone trying to contribute to, to know that, hey, there's going to be another set of eyes that another kind of sanity yeah. check and that kind of thing. And it's not all on you. It's going to right. have a little bit of reassurances. And um, the other thing uh, I want to point out is in the PowerShell documentation set itself, we have this um, community section in the table of contents. And under the community section there, there's um, a contributor guide that explains how to contribute to uh, the reference documentation. And included in that is a style guide and a writing guide and links to writing resources. You can use all of that to help you uh, with your writing for the blog. Awesome. So there's some great resources and some documentation there to kind of get you started writing documentation. Now, here comes a pop quiz. What does style guide say about the Oxford comma? (laughs) <laughs> it is uh, so. The Oxford comma is the Microsoft standard. Oh, is uh, it? Yes, I'm. I'm on board. Yeah, I love I like the Oxford it, comma. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy it as well. Otherwise, it's just less precise. There can be it, confusion. Exactly. When are you going to do it? Here comma. it is, bringing people together as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's glorious. <laughs> um, I've personally found that writing blogs and going through things and, and going through the process of sharing it has been super helpful in helping me learn things and also have something that I can come back to and. It's been a big part of my learning process, so it's definitely something worth giving a shot. Yeah, and it's, uh, I know people always struggle with, well, I don't have anything to say. What do I write about? And um, I would say just get started. Write about what, you, what you're working on at work. If you're using PowerShell in your job, what did you learn? What did, uh, what did you learn on the job? Um, and think about telling the story and just break it into small chunks. Approach it from, hey, I had this problem. And I was looking for a solution and I uh, used PowerShell and this is what I learned. And you could, um, you know, if it's, if it was like a big project, you can break that up into a multi-part blog series. Mm -hmm. I did a four-part blog series on Crescendo 
um, I was I was coming at it totally blind, didn't really know anything about it. And I decided I, I was going to learn it. And so in this four-part blog series, I started with, um, you know, talking about my journey, where I started from not knowing anything, how I learned, um, and what, what that process was like, and what I thought about Crescendo after I was done. And then the next one was going into some details about, well, in order to make this work, you have to write parsers to turn the, the text into objects. And so uh, I went into that more detail. And the end, the, the last article was a deep dive into the more the internals of that JSON configuration file. Um, but it, it took you on this sort of four-part journey and broke it up. So, um, you know, don't, don't try to write it all at once. Just uh, make it a step at a time. Right. And there's no, uh, is there like a given criteria of the type of things that articles need to be about, or is it just something you did that involved PowerShell, a problem you encountered? And yeah, just, just something you did, um, showing off a clever way to do something mm -hmm. or something like that. The, the only real restrictions we have about the community blog is we're not going to allow it to be a marketing platform for you to show right. a product. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, uh, or uh, for you, you know, you've written a book and you want to, uh, right. you know, <clears throat> we have a contributor that has written several PowerShell books and it's, uh, that's okay. We let him talk about his book, especially he has code samples in his book that he links to from the blog. That's okay. But he can't say, you know, here's a link to buy my book or right. anything like that. Right. Cool. So um, that sounds like an awesome kind of thing to get started. So whenever uh, I go about solving problems, I kind of take notes. And I think that that's kind of, I guess, the basis of creating sure. a blog is take notes of what you're, what you see, the, the issues you have whenever you're solving a given problem. And then by the time you're done with the problem, you have a great kind of outline for just putting some sentences to it and giving it some structure and taking people through the problem you solve. And it doesn't have to be incredibly complex. You don't have to be the first person to have done it. Right. And if you have any interest at all in becoming a writer, the only way to become a writer is just to write, to practice. And right. this gives you a platform to practice on that's pretty safe and low barrier to entry. Definitely. And I think writing is a skill that is used very frequently and will continue to be used for the rest of your career. So getting some oh, experience yeah. and getting in, you know, working on those skills now, you'll slowly keep building and you're going to definitely benefit from that in so many different ways. And because it's community-based, other people will as well. Yes. Very cool. Just an idea of what, uh, when it comes to writing, is you had a recent example where we did a one of the episodes of this where we talked about the secrets management. Mm -hmm. And I... I went very surface level. You started going deep and you got fascinated by it and you wrote a blog about it. And I mean, there's blogs out there on secrets. There's very fantastic ones, but you have a unique take because you were interested in it. So yeah. it's, it's not that you're the first person there and then you have to be there. It's, mm -hmm. I feel like I can contribute to this. And so just put your take on it. Yeah. Um, I noticed some of our customers had a particular thing that they were doing and instead of not being able to link them to documentation or like do something like, okay, we solved the problem and this is kind of how we use secrets management kind of thing, you know? It wasn't super crazy. It was not that impressive. It was, I think, just a few lines ultimately, but I kind of went through like, hey, here's this and this, and then boom, here's how you can use it. Um, 
in the way we did. So, yeah, so it's not, uh, well, I've read an article on this. It, that doesn't matter. It's if you're passionate about it and you think you have a unique take, then yeah. dive in and, you, and you'll, you'll learn it better as you go too. Most people have a unique take. It goes through their right. perspective. Well, and you know, for three years of my life career at Microsoft, I was a trainer. And what I learned was I learned more by teaching other people. Yes. So writing this and, and helping the community, you learn more about what it is you're talking about. Completely. It's, I love that because it's this process where you're helping others, but also really you're just completely benefiting the entire time. Yep. So what I'm hearing, if you take the time to teach, it's a selfish action. <laughs> yes, it just so happens to benefit everybody else and the, the world around you. Yeah. That's incidental. This is about me. It's directionally correct, <laughs> right? Uh, well, that's awesome. So when it comes to the PowerShell documentation, there's the GitHub if you want to file issue, or sorry, there's the uh, a method for um, changing the actual documentation and then a method for if you want to publish blogs. Um, yep. Very cool. So kind of two separate things, but also very writing driven. So if you're interested in getting into writing, there's a, quite a few opportunities for that. I, I feel like with how much time you spend in the the documentation you do where it's got to be all factually correct, there's not opinion that goes in there. Right. And, and especially where it comes from Microsoft, where if someone lands there looking for something, that's an authority. Like there's no longer, do I need to look around? It feels like a lot of pressure. Oh, it can be, but I, I think, I don't know. I, I, I was in support for so long at Microsoft uh, before I got into the writing. 17 plus years doing customer support mm -hmm. at various levels. And I relied on that documentation. So I was just, I've always been passionate about having the right documentation. And if, if I did something to fix a customer problem and it wasn't documented, I documented it because that's something that should be out there in the world. So I, I, I don't, I didn't look at it from a, a pressure standpoint. It was, it was, I just felt my responsibility to make sure that the information was available. Right. And I, I think that it's kind of funny because I think um, early on for me, my impression of writing is like, oh, that's going to be boring and not important. And like, but in reality, once you kind of actually see the perspective of things, it's actually massively important. And the efforts that you put into that, because people are reading these docs, are humongous. So while for me, like older perspective, getting beginning into uh, IT compared to now, it's like maybe it doesn't seem like a lot, but it's actually incredibly impactful. And if you can yep. improve documentation and improve those processes and you improve the utilization of, of the products like you were mentioning earlier, that is quite powerful. And I love how efficient that kind of thing is, right? You modify some documentation, you lead to a better experience for X number of people. That's yep. just by clicking save or commit. Yeah, and I mean, we get over 3 million page views a month on our documentation. Wow. So There's an impact there. Yeah, there's sure. an impact. <laughs> I'm a quarter of them. <laughs> I, I don't contribute, though. I just take... Well, hey, that can change. And you know what? Um, I think if a couple people want to contribute, I think we have some prizes we'll send out. If you end up contributing to the documentation or the blog um, for PowerShell, if you send us an email at PowerShell at PDQ.com, we'll hook you up with some swag. It sounds good to me. Good to me. I mean, it's not my swag, so yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> this, is, this is also news to me, but uh, I'll, I'll back it. I, I figure we can call the shots. We're I, calling a shot. I'm this, trying. This is our podcast. It's not like Kelly can edit that out, right? Um, 
It's only a couple bucks that I'll have to send some beautiful t-shirts to people. I I would threaten him physically, but he literally knows karate. Well, And I'm I'm scared of him. You know PowerShell. I do. (laughs) I'm going to automate all the face punches. So one, one thing when it comes to any sort of public thing, whether it's writing documentation, writing a script, blogging, any of that, people seem to think out the gate that you have to be perfect where no one's perfect. And if someone finds a mistake, they're not hostile about it. It's, Hey, we noticed this. Have you considered trying this option? And it might even be, you disagree on that fact, but then it just leads to discussion. Like perfection isn't important. Putting the information out there is, and you, if you are wrong on something, that's just a chance for you to learn as well. Yeah. I I think of an example. uh, I I would imagine, I like to think of the extremes. So imagine, I imagine I'm a beginner and I, I try and submit some feedback and I'm a bit incorrect of my interpretation of things. Well, guess what? That still provides feedback to the PowerShell team that people be very new to PowerShell are confused by this thing a little bit. Exactly. We get, we get a lot of issues in GitHub that are really more questions about how something works than a problem with the documentation. And that, that may spur us to make changes to the documentation or additions to the documentation. Um, not always, but often uh, that's the case. And and actually, we um, we also get people wanting to change the documentation. They submit a, a PR, and the changes they make aren't accurate because they don't really understand the issue that they're having. Right. Um, so. I would say I, I prefer to start with an issue and that way we can have a discussion. Right. Um, and then if you want to submit a change based on the discussion, we welcome that contribution. Um, that's, that's the way open source is supposed to work anyway, is right. you start with the, the discussion. Um, I'll also throw out there that, um, in that community section of our documentation, I do an update every month talking about what's new in docs, uh, pointing out the new documentation that we've published. And I also list out our community contributors for that month. So you get a little bit of recognition that way as wow. well. And I have a, a contributor hall of fame page that's, um, Dates back to 2015 when we open sourced the documentation. Uh, who's contributed the most? Wow, that's awesome. I, it's nice to hear that about the. It starts with a discussion because I know that for me, I've I've seen things in the past, not with Microsoft and PowerShell specifically, where. I kind of see an issue. I think to say something, I start to maybe start looking at it. When in reality, I should just start the conversation. Not worry about having the answer to the problem at right. all. Just. Let them know, hey, this is kind of what I'm seeing. Am I missing something here? Is there something wrong? And you start the conversation, you get a chance to work on things. Exactly. And I would say if more people took that that approach, I, I see this all the time in troubleshooting. They they say they ask questions like, How do I make this do this this way? And really what they need to say is, I'm trying to accomplish this and it's not and I'm not making right. it happen. If we understand what the goal is, it's easier to give you a solution than try to explain why what you're doing is wrong. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, when I was first learning PowerShell and I was struggling on a certain part, I actually went to one of our uh, C-sharp developers and I said, how would you write this in C-sharp? 
because he didn't write PowerShell. And right. I didn't write, and he wrote it from there, but they're similar enough that I could kind of figure it out from there. So it was kind of an interesting way. I didn't know what to do. I didn't even know how to ask. I just said, if I wanted to accomplish this, how would you do it? And it helped me finish the script on my side. Uh, it turns out the, the hard part was it involved a SQL query, which I am terrible at. <laughs> <laughs> Been there. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. I can relate to being, uh, well, I think there's this, thing in IT that I experienced earlier on where you don't ask questions, you should figure it out. Like, oh, just put in the time to solve the whole issue. When in reality, a lot of times starting that conversation will save you so much time exactly. and will cost the other person nothing. And they'll actually be happy to do it because you'll start that feedback. You'll bring up a question that might help somebody else. Like for me, that's a transition I've made. I, I've, I've kind of switched to realizing, yeah, it's definitely not always worth it to just grind it out. It's worth it to start conversations in appropriate ways. Like, you know, don't, badger people all the time, but you know, it's worth it for you to say things and to start conversations and to put yourself out there and have these things going on. Yeah. And if you start that com with the conversation, um, it, it's like, instead of jumping into the implementation, you should take the time to step back and think about the design. Yes. Because that will help you drive the implementation. There may be things you weren't thinking about, and if you start implementing, you're going totally the wrong direction. Yes, and that's why I love reading docs before diving into something, because it gives you that context of, this is why this was designed this way, this is kind of how it's meant to be used, and yeah, love that. I think one, we didn't really have a tip of the week, but I guess we do sort of have a tip of the week, and it's something that we saw on Monday, which we didn't mention um, when we were doing our PS Readline episode, but Whenever you're typing a command in PowerShell, you can press F1 to bring up the help without leaving the typed command that you've typed in. So you can type in like git dash process and then press F1. So, and we discussed the F1 initially, but the part that I thought was really cool is if you start a parameter. So if you do git dash process, then like dash name, hit F1, it'll take you to the help documentation. For about, that specific parameter. parameter. Yes, yeah. exactly. So it'll help you, it'll just go to where you are in the help documentation, which... I, we didn't, I didn't even know that. Like we had talked about the F1. I saw that. Yes. And then you just press Q whenever you're done. So get process dash, and maybe you start typing a name and you press F1. You look at the name, you read, oh, okay. The name of the process. You press Q, you're exactly where you were with your uh, half typed or your name parameter filled in. You're ready to go and proceed without having to switch context, without potentially getting distracted, without any of that stuff going on, which happens to me a lot. So that uh, workflow improvement's amazing. Yeah, we call that um, uh, dynamic help, or uh, as I like to describe it, just-in-time help. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and the fact that you don't lose your command line or you don't have to open another uh, PowerShell session to, to look up the help um, is a big game-changer. And the other one I'll throw out there is um, if you've turned on the command line predictor mm -hmm. in PS Readline, um, it... it it defaults to the inline mode where it shows you the first prediction it finds on the command line itself, and you can um, you can choose that one. But if you hit F two, it'll give you a whole list, and then you can scroll through the list and choose the one you want. And so F two toggles that on and off. And what's the command you said enabling the command line predictor? How do you do that? So it's it's an option in um, PS Readline. You right. set PS Readline option. 
And, I, and then yeah, I forget so the exact the, sor- the source is history, I think. Yeah. So um, there's three settings that's off. You can set it to use history or you can set it to use history and plugin. And so what they're building more predictor plugins uh, to go with this. So um, by default, it'll use the PS readline history file that, that it creates to um, use that data to predict what you're typing. So if, if you've typed it before and it's in your history log, uh, it'll, it'll pop up there. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. yeah uh, Mike Robbins mentioned that the F2, when we first uh, showed up at the convention is something like he, he liked all the content. He felt like we missed something. And he, he said he enabled it for the Azure yeah, so Azure Predictor is one of the uh, pr- plugins that I'm talking about, and uh, that one's really cool because there's it talks to machine learning backend to uh, help you construct your uh, Azure PowerShell commandlets. So uh, you want to create a new VM uh, as you start to type new VM, it'll pre-populate that with all of the required parameters in the prediction. And if you had previously like created a uh, resource group in Azure, well, resource group is one of the parameters to new AZVM. It, it'll pre-populate the same name of the resource group. So it's, it's intelligent about the predictions it's making for you. Very cool. Yeah. So as long as you're not hopping haphazardly between all your resource groups and everything. Yeah. <laughs> but with F2, you can scroll. Yeah, we covered PS Readline. We, we loved it. And then we, we realized we didn't even scratch the surface. We put it out there. We got some feedback and we learned more and we are better. We're benefiting from it. Yeah, we that, have cool stuff we're doing now. It's an amazing module. Yeah. It really is. I love the workflow that it kind of seeks to provide and the other workflow improvements that PowerShell's making. It's quite nice to, if you're chilling in the terminal, you got a lot of very nice features to keep you there. Well, Sean, thanks for taking time at the convention. I know this is packed and it's busy, so taking time to talk to us is awesome. We really appreciate it. Definitely appreciate it. My that. pleasure. And I'm looking forward to the community um, getting more involved. And uh, I will certainly help plug the podcast. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> and we're going to keep harping on sending people to get started. If you want to start contributing, the best way I would say is to start with documentation, get a feel for things and go from there. It's, yep. it's the beginning bar to getting started. Yeah. We'll, we'll put in the links uh, where to your to the documentation general, where they can get to the blogs and then anything else you want us, if you wouldn't mind just shooting yeah. an email and we'll get those. I'll give you a whole there. list. Awesome. So check the show notes, people. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you listen to this, whatever platform you're listening on, if we did a five-star job, please give us five stars. Oh, you're supposed to be doing the shilling now. Oh, am I? We, we talked about okay, that. You <laughs> Andrew's going to shill. Hello, everybody. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast and the lovely insights, please give us a review that you find suitable. And if five stars is that suitable rating, please provide it to us. I would be so appreciative. And if you have any PowerShell questions or want to send some feedback or have uh, some things that you're dealing with with PowerShell, you can email us at PowerShell at PDQ.com. Thank you so much, beloved listeners. Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. It all makes sense now. <laughs> the PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com.